Welcome to WP Tonic Roundtable Podcast, where a panel of leading WordPress junkies discusses the latest WordPress and internet stories of the week. Now, on with the show with your moderator, Jonathan Denwood. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable show. This is episode 475. We record this every Friday at around 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can join us on our Facebook page and watch this live. Oh, somebody's making a lot of noise. That's Vito as well. He's making he's making a hell of a racket. Oh, God. Oh, I don't know. They're already started. I don't know. I'm going to let the panel... We're, we exist to wind you up, Jonathan. It's only show business, folks. Uh, um, so I'm going to allow um, almost a truant, but she managed to get into class just on the bell. And that's... <laughs> Sally, Sally, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, certainly. <clears throat> My name is Sally Getch. I am the WP fangirl. Um, although I have to admit, I'm not the only WP fangirl. A lot of women in WordPress. Uh, <clears throat> and the organizer of the East Bay WordPress meetup in Oakland, California. Ah, you're the, you're u- the unique one, the original. Uh, um, so, Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Your mute, I think. Spencer being unable to talk. There, there is a terrible there thing. Is. He was very talkative earlier. We can't hear you. I'm unmuted now. All right, there we go. <laughs> Spencer Foreman from launchflows.com. Right, thanks. And I've got my great co-host on my first on my interview show, Adrian. Adrian, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Hi, everyone. My name is Adrian, CEO and founder of Groundhog. We produce and sell marketing automation plugins for businesses that use WordPress. Right. And I got Vito. Vito, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? You're mute as well. Hi. <laughs> My name is Vito. I'm the founder of WP Feedback. We help WordPress professionals collaborate with clients and with each other. That's great. And before we go into the main topics, of our round table. I just want to talk about our show sponsor and that's LaunchFlows. And what is LaunchFlows? Well, it enables you with WooCommerce to build really modern shopping cart uh, experiences and also really makes it easy for you to build modern day funnels for your clients. Basically, it enables you with WordPress to build similar funnels to click funnels without the 297 a month it would cost your client or yourself to do that with click funnels you can do this with free plugins and with launch flow and it makes the whole experience flexible so you can build fantastic custom funnels with Alimator, Divi or with Gutenberg really easily for your clients. So if that sounds interesting, and I think it should be, go over to Launch Flows. And also they're giving us a special coupon code which gives you 25% the normal price of Launch Flows. What you've got to do is use WP Tonic Rocks. And it will be in the show notes. Um, and I'll repeat that. It's WP Tonic Rocks. And you'll get 25% of launch flows. Right, let's go into the stories. Um, and this is from the Tavern. Um, will page builders remain competitive in the block era? What did you think of this one, Agent? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they will. 
Um, there's there's the the blocks will offer a new way to create design content that some people will like and some people will not like. And the page builders will continue to thrive because some of them have millions of active installations and it's a pain in the butt to switch. So I, I do not foresee any page builders uh, going the way of the dinosaur once the block get, uh, what, what does Spencer call the block get in? The block get in. The stack? The whatever, uh, the, the blog get in or whatever it's called. Oh, <laughs> When the I, I'm not sure which reference, but I'm sure I'll remember it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they're not. They're, yes, they will remain competitive, and uh, commercial commercial interests have shown that uh, their incentive and their ability to create outstanding software uh, is always always rivals that of of the open source community, which just by nature iterates a little bit more slowly than their commercial counterparts. Uh, so those, those who want dedicated support and dedicated uh, teams and dedicated communities for, for commercial solutions that they know will be, uh, and know they'll be listened to and valued as customers will continue to purchase from page builders while those who are on a budget and as blocks get more and more and more advanced will be able to use Gutenberg in order to do that. Which brings up actually a good a good point. The value proposition between page builders and and the blocks is not necessarily always related to uh, the actual functionality of the blocks themselves or how good they can make pages look, but actually it comes down to sometimes support and the community involvement around those particular tools, uh, templates, and the availability of of essentially like quick start. And, and ability to get started quickly. If you go to the Elementor community, they've got templates and all of these different things, and a lot of that just doesn't exist for the block set. I'm sure it will eventually, um, but that's also another value proposition to, to take into account. Support, community, and pre-existing templates and all of that stuff is something that page builders currently have, which blocks do not. I'm sure they will eventually, but they're not quite there yet. And even when they do get there, Everybody there, you know, Elementor is so ingrained into so many businesses and as is Beaver Builder, as is Brizzy, as is Thrive, as is all of the other ones. They're so ingrained into people, businesses that people aren't just going to switch overnight. And I don't see it going away in the next 10 years until websites just become obsolete altogether. I'm just fascinated because I think this 17 million investment in Elementor that we talked about last week has really put the fox into the chicken coop, really. And I think it's flustered some feathers in automatic. I actually think they're, they're, what they did with um, Gutenberg, they thought it was going to unify. Um, and it's actually, it might have the opposite, where it will actually fragment the market much more. Um, what do you reckon, Spencer? Uh, my take on this is a little abstract, but I'll explain it like this. What? It's like an airplane. Yeah, you've got some strange sound today. Not here. Coming for you. That's not it's... coming from my side of things. We, yeah. have a, we have a no-fly zone for the president. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So this thing here, the USB cable, yeah. with the exception of Apple, revolutionized. I, I reckon that's the cable you need to use for your sound. <laughs> 
It's not it's not up to its normal quality. It's not terrible, but it's not go on, keep going, sorry. Anyway, the situation is that I remember the days, and again I say before Apple screwed up everything was the USB C, but back in the day before USB, when you wanted to travel, you had to load your bag up with five different charger cords and cable blocks and all the different unique kinds of cables. And even God forbid before laptops, when you had different types of printer port cables is cable, 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 cable. And what eventually happened is the people with a vested interest in making money realized this is all again, this is against all of our interests. In other words, we're creating an infinite amount of analysis paralysis for people and causing a fragmentation in the market that we could all own. Now, there's always going to be a power play. But what I see going down is really simple. First of all, this is a race against the clock of WordPress being a traditional front-end facing website thing. I feel that in a short period of time, we're going to be moving to my girlfriends, you know, the AIs here. You're just going to be talking to websites or they're going to project it into your glasses or in your brain or it's going to be everywhere. Not just a traditional build a thing that you scroll along the screen with. So that's the end point where all this becomes moot. But in the meantime, I 100% think the real race is who will build the all-in-one ecosystem that enough people realize it's just easier to use. The problem with the people who are saying yay in favor of Gutenberg is they don't realize there's no freaking way that they will get their shit together in time to compete with the 100-plus people of Elementor and the other page builders who all are tied into the financial benefits of their clients. Win, win, win. With Elementor, they care, and so does Divi to a certain degree, Beaverbill, they care that you get successful results on your WooCommerce shop or on your membership site. Gutenberg is still sitting there gesticulating over the theory of what we should build and why. By the time they figure it out, it'll be too late. Now, on the actual page builders themselves, what I'm seeing is it doesn't matter. If you take an Elementor plugin, and you put it into a Divi built site or a Beaver built site, works fine. Beaver Builder works fine inside of a Divi site. It's stupid, but it works. Divi works fine inside of everything, except it just slows everything by eight seconds because there's inefficiencies in what they do. That's no knock on Divi. It's a designer tool, not a, a, a marketer tool. Point being, the people use the tool that is like the thing that fits best in their hand right now. And that each of those environments has enough people to sustain itself. The only thing that will change will be, will one of them try to make a platform? And personally, I think they will, but I think it's a mistake. And the reason it's a mistake is because they'll get to all the time and trouble of building a platform, and then the bell will run out on the, we don't give a shit about building scrollable pages anymore. And all of it will be for naught. Because when the USB cable came around, the entire cable industry changed and all the manufacturers just went to saying your stuff has a USB, you know, A, B or C connector done and done. So that's the story. In my opinion, is that this is sort of like a, a fun little race, but it's like watching, you know, like babies race around a track. It's going to end quickly and then it's going to move on to the next thing. Yeah. So we come from where you reckon, Sally? Uh, I think, we are going to have to be concerned with you. Uh, you need to reduce the volume. You're really oh, it's right. gone. It's gone up again. All right, let me. Uh, <clears throat> Sorry, right. 
I'll go to Vito and come back to you. Vito, <laughs> what, what do you think? Um, I actually think that uh, when it comes to what Spencer was talking about, uh, moving away from uh, the, sta- the kind of websites as we know it for the past uh, 30 years, um, I agree, but it's going to take a lot longer than, uh, than, uh, uh, than the next uh, five years at least 10 years until we start yeah. seeing something around, yeah. something like that, in my opinion. Um, but I, I, I share this vision. You know, I, 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 sure. I am, uh, like when I think of the future of where this is going, uh, I'm on the same page as, uh, as uh, what Spencer is saying. Uh, in the meantime, Angie, you're right that right now it's, there's a problem that you can't uh, actually move. So you're basically stuck with the tool that you built the website with uh, unless you redesign the whole thing. But that, I believe, is going to be solved um, uh, this year uh, with tools that are uh, working towards uh, building um, uh, migrations between page builders. So you have an Elementor website with one click, it's going to generate um, 80 or 90, 90% of a Gutenberg site using the same um, structure. At least you're going to get the layout and uh, you know some margins and stuff. Uh, so that's going to make it a whole lot easier for people to move back and forth. I do think that uh, the uh, the agileness of a profit-led business, especially with investors on its head, um, is a lot more powerful than uh, than the honorable effort of uh, the community to try and uh, keep up with that speed. Um, it's just not, not enough resources in the Gutenberg project, in my in my view to compete with the resources that... Well, why, you know, but why do you think that is? You know, you know, realistically, this is an automatic project. You know, let's be real about this. Yeah, it, it, it asks for outside community help, but fundamentally, it's an automatic project. I don't care what Matt says. And we're dealing with a thousand-person company here which has recently had $300 million injected into it. So what what, what is, how can can even Alameda, you know, you know, how can even Alameda? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why, because the the amount of money that that they have, uh, that uh, Automatic has, which is amazing for what they're doing for, you know, for the for-profit businesses, that's, I guess, is where most of it is going to go. For the additional projects and stuff, fine, they're kind of contributing as part of the community into the project. But it actually uh, increases the time of delivering every little piece uh, of, this, uh, of this project because you're fragmented with teams all over the world that are trying to do something on their downtime. They're not focused. They're like, uh, you know, maybe when you're doing it, you're focused, but it doesn't consume you every day in the same way that it consumes every person that works at a for-profit company. Nobody's in alignment. The difference yeah. is you could have $100 million and 1,000 employees, and nobody is mentally, financially, spiritually, yeah. motivationally aligned with any vision, let alone an incentive. If you look at teams on each of the page builders, right? Like, especially the Israeli team, <laughs> Elementor, like, that's an army of people. Everybody has a vested interest in success. And you look at WordPress and everybody's leaving because it's like a dysfunctional family. So <laughs> you could pour a billion dollars. It won't change that. You know. Yeah. So, Sally, hopefully you... you, uh, you right. Uh, it's my, uh, it's, my it's a little bit faint now. It's a little bit faint. Well, honestly... <clears throat> 
can't uh, uh, can't win for losing. Let me just turn that up a tiny bit. Is oh, that okay, that, that's it. That's okay. the sweet. That's the sweet point. Okay. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, I think that one thing is the popular. Uh, well-established page builders uh, definitely have a future for, you know, maybe not forever because, uh, you know, yeah, things may true. change in, in terms of what is uh, <clears throat> available uh, to, uh, you know, the, the different ways people interact with inter- information on, on the Internet. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, I think that some of the smaller page builders may fall off. Uh, especially the free ones. Yes, we see you're playing with your backgrounds there. Um, uh, uh, Spencer. Uh, and um, it's also true that, you know, there are Gutenberg block plugins uh, owned by, uh, in one case, GoDaddy, and in another case, WP Engine. Uh, there are some people who are putting money uh, into that. And, you know, we don't know exactly where Automatic is going to invest its time. But a few more full-time people working on Gutenberg, it would not be uh, unheard of, especially if that's part of what they're planning to, you know, roll out to the uh, companies like uh, Salesforce and uh, more of the VIP stuff. Uh, So I think that, I do think uh, that, you know, particularly Elementor and, and probably Beaver Builder will have a, you know, a, a, a good several years ahead of them and certainly enough time and enough people and enough focus to be aware of how the future is developing and adapt to it. Um, and I also think that among the fairly large number of people who were not using page builders or who were using page builders that were uh, frustrating to them, not to mention any names, visual decomposer, um, and, you know, are likely to switch over that there's already, you know, I mean, websites do need to be redone every few years regardless. Mm-hmm. Uh, Why does Gutenberg at this stage even need to be competing with the page builders? For example, isn't it enough that they just say it's competing with the old editor? Isn't that enough? Because I don't understand why they're competing. If you wanted to use a page builder and still use Gutenberg, that's what you're getting anyway, because you can't avoid it unless you specifically install the classic editor plugin to go back to the way you want it to be. So if they just focused on okay, we're fine with the position. We own the hotel. (laughs) Walk into the hotel, you're going to get our furniture. Why why do they even have to have this conversation like we're going to win against Elementor? Well, you know, who's uh, who's having the conversation? I think, you know, the question comes up. Uh, It may not matter. I think that, that, you know, the page builder people have, have ensured that they can coexist. Uh, and so, yes, you could decide to use, you know, Elementor on it, some pages and Gutenberg on some pages. It's a great, I, it's a, sorry, sorry, Sally, it's a great point you made there, Spencer, because it could be a great differential for WordPress.com. And they could say with that, you, well, you can actually use Gutenberg to build pages. Or I've done you, it, in fact. You know, <laughs> or you could go, or you can use the um, downloadable product it's, and you get a great editor, but you're going to have to use one of these third-party page builders if you want to actually here's the solution that i 
keep harping on that would be just so simple. The reason that we, all of us, maybe Sally perhaps is the exception, all of us have installed the classic editor plugin is because if they would just take the resources they've had and things they've already built, literally, and they just simply focused a little energy on making it the best background thing onto which you can use your favorite page builder. Bam! Then it's like a win for everybody. So now, because the only fear that they have, besides fear itself, is that Elementor is smart enough, gets the right money, that they go off and fork some version of WordPress. Because ultimately, Elementor is captive in this hotel too. They're not going to start with a new CMS. They're not going to build a Wix or a Weebly or a Pagely or, or sorry, a a Shopify or any of those things. They're not. They're going to use WordPress. But what they might do because they're smart enough and I'm saying I, I might do this myself, just fork the goddamn thing, clean up all of the problems with it so that it's the ultimate get started version of WordPress so that everything else is just the page builder. And ta-da, and then they can pay the money. They have 15 million plus bucks. You know what they do with that money? They go hire all of the refugees from WordPress as paid experts to come work for the Elementor fork of WordPress. And now they got the page builder, they got the software, they got the energy, they got the marketing, they got the brains, they got everything. What does Matt have at that point? Well, they might. Um, I mean, you know, well, that, things that, like this yeah. have been tried. Uh, and we've not already like talked. Not like this, though. Not with that kind of money and that kind of. Nobody's already- had a hundred person team that has 15 million bucks in WordPress yet. Oh, right. But if you if if you divert that hundred person team into. Um, uh, uh, <clears throat> what do they have to divert? They don't have to do anything. They just fork the software. And then whenever a new update is made on the WordPress core, a couple of people look at it and go, yeah, okay, we'll put that stuff well, in. Well, yes, but you said they were going to refactor the entirety of WordPress and, and clean it up. That That's not a small job for the team. They, don't, they, have, they don't have to do that because this is, I mean, this is where I've been playing in this field. All they need to do is leave it as standard as possible and they have a bolt-on that just cleans up the editor area. That's it. All the rest of the WordPress, they can leave standard. It's a piece of piss for anybody that big that has it. No, I actually agree with you there, Spence. I don't agree with everything you say, but I actually think... Well, we no. said last week they were likely to make a hosted product, in which case they are probably going to tinker mm. with it. You know, WP Engine does this already because if you look at WP Engine, the problem with WP Engine is because of what it does. A, they don't allow you to install the latest version of WordPress yourself. They hold you back a version yeah. or two. B, they install some MU plugins that cock around with all of your normal functions, including admin Ajax and you know the REST API and so on and so forth. And then they jam in your... <laughs> eyeball all that caching and the other varnish stuff. But the point is they use the core of WordPress at their discretion. It's just sort of staged a little bit behind, but that's how they built their whole platform. And I think it's not really a big secret that anybody can do it. The question is who would use it versus another? And I think we always end up with the same conversation for every hundred people. There's 25 that like this tool and 25 that like that and six like this and five want to be outliers and three don't know what they're doing. And there's always going to be this array of people that they would have to leave it agnostic enough that anybody could use it regardless of what their preferences are. But then they're right back to being like automatic, which is. Well, yes. And yet, you know, if, 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 
I, I think it's always sort of a silly question to say, you know, is there going to be room for blah, blah, blah? I mean, you know, every freaking day, it seems like I learn about a new project management collaboration platform. Yeah, you know, yeah. even though there have been some players established a long time in, in that area with with big teams behind them. But, uh, you know, it's not stopping people from from coming out with new stuff. I don't think anything is going to stop people from coming out with new stuff. And uh, so, you know, I, I think it's silly to suggest that, well, just because Gutenberg exists, you know, there will be no room for page builders. I think there will be no necessity for page builders that if somebody comes new to WordPress... Uh, they won't necessarily feel as um, frustrated and as compelled to go somewhere else. Uh, but that's a little bit different from uh, saying that there will be no point in uh, and no profit in a, a page builder. Right. Okay. Um, well, well we do, we've just gotten through one story. I don't know if we started a bit late, but we're up to our half, normal half time. I think I'm going to go for a break and see if we can get through the rest of some of these stories a bit quicker. But I think it's been a great discussion already. We were going for our break, listeners and viewers. We'll be back in a moment. Are you a WordPress consultant, designer, or small digital agency owner? Then you need WPTonic as your trusted white-label developer partner for your next big e-learning or WooCommerce project. WPTonic has the knowledge to help you build out custom functionality that your clients need in LearnDash, Lifter LMS, and WooCommerce. WP Tonic is well-known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with a full, no-question-asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Find out how WP Tonic's white-label services can help your agency today. Go to wp-tonic.com's homepage and book a free consultation with Jonathan. That's wp-tonic, just like the podcast. We're coming back. We had a great discussion about page builders. Page builders and hosting. If you ever want to get a WordPress group really having a good argument, just talk about page builders and hosting. That gets them going. Uh, um, on to the next story, which I think is a really interesting one, and I'm going to be fascinated by what the panel thinks of this one. Lam- Lambda School is Silicon Valley's big bets on reinventing education and making making student debt obsolete but students say it's a cult and they may have been better off learning on their own so what did you think of uh, what do you think of the company and what do you think of the idea and what do you think of this article uh spencer well i think there's a general rule when i was growing up i was taught that if you ever get pitched something by a guy whose name is austin spelled with an e (laughs) run as far away as you can (laughs) just one look at this guy's picture and his name and i would start to wonder what's happening here to be quite honest because he does not inspire would would you buy a used car from that guy huh (laughs) i said would you buy a used car from that guy i mean looking at his picture (laughs) this is terrible you've been horrible to this guy uh sorry but you know the bottom line is we just came out of the we work scenario and i'm old enough like i say i keep reminding those kids out there i'm old enough that i've seen every kind of snake oil in my professional and personal life to know in advance that there are people that just do these kinds of things why they do it it's too bad because it takes away the good things that other people in life do that's the, the drama of living in planet earth at this time so the point is um i do agree 
that the future of education, and Rob Walling has expressed this on your show and otherwise, and there's lots of intelligent people, uh, controversial or not, like Peter Thiel, I do feel that education is completely broken at the moment from the standpoint of how it is financed and how the money interests have taken it over as a business versus it being a fundamental part of our society. Because I think that there's huge benefits to teaching kids how to be independent thinkers and skill-based thinkers and so on and so forth. That is not what you're buying for $450,000 at Tulane. You were, you were buying an education to become a, a cog in a larger machine to serve the needs of the the corporate owners when they promised you that you would get a lifelong sort of like safety net or pension or something else. Now that that promise is broken, there's only a few professions that would mandate that level of a compromise. Like if you're going into medicine or something like that for the rest of the world, kids today could get their education online with interests that they really have or want, or they could do it in a, a, trade type of a vocational thing, which is also coming back again. So I like the concept. And whenever there's business opportunities like this, that things are changing, douchebags will come out like this. And from what I read... Uh, I, I, want to, I want to say, listeners, the views, obviously, um, Spencer's views are obviously his there's, own. There's, uh, no, there's no reason in the world we live in that there should be a story about this kind of douchebaggery, which is just, it, in, I'm saying allegedly, co- according to the article, is just outright chicanery. It's outright thievery. There's no reason that you should be taking that kind of money from people for an online education and not deliver it. It's just obviously... Well, not- we don't know that. I, I, actually, I'm fascinated why you're so critical of this. Actually, you're, you know... Um- as nobody would call a, a school a cult. There's no, if you went to like the the University of Illinois online, there's a million people that might have gone there. Not one of them would have ever come up with the term, man, that was a cult. I mean, that just wouldn't have crossed the, the conversation. The fact that that's even been raised by more than a few people. Or maybe this article is completely biased and slammed. Well, there is a lot. We've dealt with some other situations where, you know, the content was substantially uh, one-sided and and you know we really didn't have all the information or maybe didn't necessarily have um something to uh, compare it to now these sorts of um boot camps and things uh, some of them are ripoffs I and mean, i have a a friend of my husband's ended up going to full sale academy and paying a shed load of of money and and you know when when he heard about it afterwards he was like oh i wish you had asked me first that really you know you're you're not getting your money's worth out of that and you know and i know people who've gone through boot camp type programs and it's been very good for them so i think it depends a lot on the program it's kind of interesting the proposed business model for lambda school that you you know, pay them after you get a, a That's the get, heart of the problem too, is get it, a, get a job, but, uh, indentured it, servitude, but then yes, it's, it's, it's a little, uh, your student loan doesn't go is. to, doesn't come from the government. It comes from us. Hold, hold like, on. It's, it says right here. Sorry to be interrupted you, Sally, but it says, Rather than paying up front for tuition, Lambda School asks most students to sign income sharing agreements 
where they pay a portion of their salary for the first two years after getting a job that pays 50 grand or more. Now, isn't that the definition of either an, an indentured servitude or a usury loan? Like, what if these kids come out? Well, it's well, it's, well, it's better than I mean, it doesn't, yes, it doesn't, it doesn't say what portion of your salary. Well, and, it think, doesn't, and it doesn't say how much. I mean, at least with a student loan, you know how much the loan was for. Well, I think, I, I, think I, I need to intervene here, Sally. I'm sorry to interrupt. But I need to intervene and give the panel more information. And I'm going to put it over to Adrian because of it and see what he thinks of this. Now, first of all, the article. The article... Um, basically, Austin was approached by a freelance, supposedly a freelance journalist that now seems to be actually a um, individual involved in a company that's doing a similar product to what Austin and the investors um, that invested in his company are doing. Um, there are questions about the authority you know, why the article was so, the original article was so critical about the um, loan. Well, yes, you have to pay the loan back if you're making $50,000 or more. But after five years, the loan, this is my understanding of it, I might be incorrect, that after five years, if you if you don't reach more than 50000 it's forgotten, you know, it's dismissed. Well, compare that to the average American university where you can never get out of the loan. You know, you have to be 65 or bloody dead before you the loan is... Well, yes, I mean, it's, uh, they don't care how much you're making. They, you know, they want you to pay uh, um, To me, it seems a much better deal initially. Optics, the, opti- the optics of this are everything. is really hot. You need to reduce your mic. He's gone really high again. How's that? I put it further away. It's still pretty loud. How's that? Much better. Cool. All right. So the optics of this are everything. You have have disgruntled people and you have basically a one-sided conversation and all of that. I went to actual, like, legitimate, you know, institutionalized Canadian university. And I can tell you from listening to some of the, at least the anecdotal stories on this story, my experience was pretty much the same that they had going to an institutionalized education area uh, that has been, you know, in service to the, to like the Canadian population for like the last hundred or something years. And I, after going through like the tip, your typical in, uh, education process, I still had to do self-learning, self-taught everything, under, you know, under-informed educators. Some of them couldn't even speak clear English for the most part. And like, there's a lot, there's, there's, a, there's a whole lot of stuff, you know, that's just problematic with institutionalized education. I, I must say, I'm starting to, to feel more and more like my father got his money worth out of my Ivy League education. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when you, when you take into account what, you know, a few people, there will always be people in, you know, whatever kind of education system that you're going through that, you know, are unsatisfied with the quality. But the ability to, you know, not have to essentially pay back an entirety of, you know, the however like many hundreds of thousands of costs in terms of loans in order to go to an educational institution is a significant bonus factor. Now, personally, 
Uh, I wouldn't go through that. I would go to something called Code Academy <laughs> where you can pay like $14 a month to learn literally anything that you did. And, and right now I'm working on a Ruby project and I don't know nothing about Ruby. So I'm starting to go through that new learning process for this other language. And for the most part, like the, the like beginner's Ruby course is just entirely free. And then you can start paying for the premium. And that's what I did in university when I went to those courses and I was unable to essentially get the information that I needed out of class. I needed to go home anyway and then, you know, look up on YouTube or Code Academy or whatever it was at the time and say, all right, so this was what we were supposed to learn in class. I didn't do that. So I'm going to type it into YouTube and I'm going to find out how to do that. You know, learn self-learning, I find, is is often the best way to go about tackling problems. And there's just so many inexpensive and, edu- and so many educational resources out there on the internet that are better than going to a classroom and listen to someone lecture you for 45 minutes to an hour. Whenever, in, in, in traditional education, what happens is you go to the lecture hall and it's, uh, it's lecture, 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 test, and then you basically just forget everything that you learned in said lecture. As you're going through the self-learning process, you are essentially doing while experimenting, learning while doing, and the retention that you get from that experience is significantly greater than sitting down in a classroom with your butt on a hard chair and listening to some guy preaching for essentially 45 minutes to an hour. That's just my personal experience with going through traditionalized education, whether it's, you know, the the business, the, the only really difference between this system and traditional education is the business model. Hmm. Right? What, the bus- what do you what do you think of the business model? The business model sounds in theory great. You know, if you're it's forgived after five years, you have to sign this contract and pay back based on salary. The only issue I see coming out of that is that the, you know, the the promises of being able to be employed following the uh, following the education period, if they're unable to be employed and they have a consistent problem getting their students employed in their fields, well, yes, they want to be, be then they're going to experience for them. Uh, yeah. it, exactly, it's a bad business. So they've got an incentive to make sure it's not a bad educational experience, haven't they? They do. Well, they do have you'd, that incentive, you'd think, but you'd think, and they, uh, but yes, you, you know, you have to wonder. It's like, well, okay, what? Uh, what can they demonstrate to you in terms of uh, their success placing students? What can they demonstrate? But, to you in terms but, of their but when you come to traditional, Sally, when you come to traditional universities, there's no incentive. To, and if you look at apart from Ivy League schools and some specialist schools, their their retention rate is awful. You know, fifty percent of the students who are still land with enormous debt, don't finish their courses. The kind of reviews or experiences that you get are very similar to what Adrian has just stated. Now, um, Vito... I wish Chris was here because he'd be able to... Well, well, that's why I was hoping he was (laughs) going to join us, but unfortunately he couldn't. Uh, um, Now, Vito, you're based in London. I don't know if you're aware of the Open University... um, that's part that was started in the 1960s. Could you envision a private um, company doing something similar to what this company is doing based, oh, yeah. on, based on the open university model of um, self-learning with weekend and summer camps? Um, yeah. 
Uh, to be honest, in Israel, we had this open university thing and I went through a few courses there about project management and all this kind of stuff while I was in the army uh, um, over the weekends and stuff because I just wanted to keep my brain active. So it serves a great purpose for exactly this thing. I never went to tradition. So, so you're to... telling me that being in the army does not keep your brain active. <laughs> not at all. Not what uh, I was doing. I was looking at cables all day. and The Israeli army, not the yeah. American. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the American army um, is spot on, right? <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is that uh, I, I didn't go down this route. I was uh, kind of an entrepreneurial spirit from the, from, since I was in high school, uh, knowing that I'm not going to go down this thing. I was always a course person. I think that this, I think that this is the right model for everyone, and everything else is just the buzz that's been or tradition that's been going uh, nurtured for a few decades. Uh, but it's illogical to go to, to go down this route nowadays. Um, I, I don't see I don't see this model becoming a solution, or at least it can be. It can happen, but uh, what I would want to happen is that people stop with this. Um, uh, with the need to go to, like Adrian was saying, go to class, sit for 45 minutes, do a test and think you learned something instead of actually implementing things in real in the real world and getting um, real feedback from interacting with markets, interacting with people, interacting with, uh, uh, with whatever you want to do. Uh, that's why a lot of people that go down, a lot of my friends that went down the traditional route ended up doing nothing even similar to what they learned about just because they had no idea what their day-to-day is actually going to look like when they uh, finished four years of learning something. Here, here's uh, the difference between, between going to an educational institution for computer science and then taking a course called you know, Building Your First WordPress Plugin with PHP. At the end of the six-month term of your semester for taking that one course in university. You have learned some basic programming things. Then you go take an exam and you get 75 to 80% of your exam and you get a credit. You go to, you go take a maybe one week, three-day online course on how to build your first WordPress plugin. At the end of that term, for $100, (laughs) sometimes even free, you have an actual minimum viable product that you can go and you can give to other people and maybe even sell. And your return on investment for that, I think, is a little bit higher than a credit. <laughs> yes. Well, the, yes. the answer is uh, don't go to university for computer no, science. Don't do it. The thing is, if you want to learn a skill, university well, yeah. is not a good place to yeah. do it. It, right. it. If you want. But, you know, well, what, think, uh, what you were talking uh, yeah. about, about learning to think independently and think critically and analyze stuff and do things is a lot of what I learned at university. Yeah. I think you're you're spot on, Sally. Sorry, Spencer. I'll put it over to you in a second. I think you're spot on there, Sally. I think this is the problem in America, Canada, and in Britain is that um, a lot of vocational training was pushed into the university system. And it was never, never designed for practical vocational training. It was never designed for that. Because everyone wanted to have a degree. I want to have a degree in music, you know, like... The outcomes have been disastrous, not only financially for society, but financially for the students. And it's been an apps, and it, a lot of this has come from the traditional universities who wanted to increase 
their scope, the size of their universities and the influence they had over training. And a lot of the blame must go to these universities who wanted to take over all this vocational training sector and also the private university sector in America, which is... It's been an absolute also disaster um, with multiple investigations. Uh, Over to you, Spencer. I mean, I'll just elaborate on the point, which is that the only purpose, the only purpose outside of the social and learning how to be an adult aspect, which is really the, the main point of a university, is to get a piece of paper that says you went there so that you can trade it in at some employer for a job. That deal has been broken. So that, so that you can meet the other people, you know, your, 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 the Stanford classmates who will hire you into their startup. I totally agree. That's why I put a line in the sand. If you were to tell, if I was to say to my college-age kid, I, I say this now, I say, the reason you're going to school has nothing to do with what you're learning in class. It has to do with meeting the other people of your age who will be your future colleagues and referrals and peers and learning how to think and act on your own like an adult. The educational part, you've all said it very well, and and Adrian's point was particularly good, is that there used to be a deal that you went to XYZ University. They gave you a ticket which you could trade in at an employer for 40 years of servitude and a gold watch and a pension. Since that's no longer the case, it's ironic that along the way, the business interests came in and gave the universities these unlimited amounts of monies so that they could spend tons of time on building these huge buildings and now have to charge $400,000 for an education that used to cost you $2,000 at University of Illinois. And that thing is what's broken because I was going to say, if you have enough smarts, and independent-mindedness to go to the local city college and take a one-day course or two-day course on plug-in building, you know what you can do as, as well? Just get on the fucking internet and search, I want to learn how to build a plug-in and do it while you're having your cereal in the morning and a cup of coffee. Because that's what everybody I know, including myself, has done. And you can go as far and as fast as you want without ever getting out of your house. But that's not what people are Which buying. Which is the important point for they're Spencer. buying, right, they're <laughs> buying, well, you know, when I was young, I got out of the house. They're buying the ticket that allegedly is the entrance to some country club or, and I think that's still fair, they want to be with other people. Now, for that reason, go do that, but do it at a university that costs you, you know, $1,000 a semester. I think I think one of, one of the biggest ironies is, at least here in Canada, the, the employment rate out of universities for someone in their field where they graduate in the field is like, below 10%. It's really <laughs> atrocious. But if you go to, because we, we have a difference in Canada between college and university. Col- college is vo- vocational trades ca- training for the most part here in Canada. And in America, it's pretty much like the same thing, mm-hmm. college, university. But there's a very it, distinct- In America, the difference is whether or not you have a graduate school. Yeah. If you have a graduate school, you're a university. If you, if you don't, you're yeah. a college. Okay. So in, in, in Canada, it's college is vocational trades and all that stuff. And university is, well- the same as like a graduate university in, in the United States. And if you go to college in Canada, you're basically like guaranteed employment at the end of it. And it, you're like traditional employment. So and anywhere from tra- tra- traditional employment in Canada is like anywhere between 50,000 starting salary all the way up to $250,000. 
a year plus pension benefits and all that good stuff. And that's like more or less guaranteed if you go to college in Canada, but nobody does it because it's just because everybody wants the piece of paper, right? It's, it's great. That's, gonna, that's the irony of the situation. I'm going to give you an anecdotal story here. My, uh, my ex-wife was um, went to Virginia Tech for chemical engineering and pure mathematics, right? And she was a top A student. And she wanted to go back to Virginia. She took me back to Virginia and um, she to meet some of her previous lecturers. And she was the head of, I forgot what, ex-student um, thing, but she was the head, she was one of the top people of this student ex-student of Virginia Tech and we had to go to a couple meetups and and um, we, I met one one retired um, her one of her I think that did her was her supervisor of a dissertation and he was talking about he was talking about the university and then somehow we got on the subject of of vocational colleges and he's his arrogance and dismissal of vocational education was breathtaking. He said, oh, that's only good for hairdressers. And I thought it was a- uh, yeah, academics can be terrible snobs and they really oh, have no geez. idea what they're talking about. I mean, someone, someone's got to do all the wiring. Someone's got to do the internet. Someone's got to do... You know, there 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 are like behind the scenes, like very good paying jobs that are you know traditionally based in you know that are required by society that you can go learn at like a vocational trades college and be guaranteed comfortable living for the rest of your life. But nobody does it because everybody just wants to go to university. But I think it's coming back. Well, you know, and it's it like um, the the robots might do it, except it would actually cost a lot more to produce robots to do it. But it's like. You know, um, they can't offshore your job as a plumber. Right. And plumbers make bank. So much bank. Solar panel installers, machine operators, everybody who needs to run the new stuff. Those are the vocations that are there. So if you took the coal miners of old days and you turned them into solar panel operators or, you know, people that have to climb on roofs and stuff, those jobs are unfilled right now because there's too many of them and not enough people trained. So Adrian's point is well taken. There's this stigma that came from the same bullshit sales tactic that made people pay all this money to go to a university. But now kids today are starting to wake up to the, wait a second, like if I just do right. this- Right, well, uh, employers uh, started re- requiring a degree. Yeah, they're, they're just as bad. For things uh, where it was irrelevant. Now, I've spoken, I've, sorry, sorry, Sally again. I've spoken to a lot of young people recently and not for the reasons you think, Spencer. Uh, um, and um, they tell me the only re- the only reason they go that they go to, is they they feel forced to. They feel forced to by their parents and also right. employers because employers? unless you unless you unless you have uh, that, there piece. are tech employers now that don't require degrees, but no. more and more places require it's, degrees where really it's not relevant. You don't even get in. You don't even get an interview unless you have a degree. They, it's they feel parents, the parents, because that's my generation. The parents who went through this who have their own social problems to deal with, with competition and keeping of the judges, they can't be the ones that their kid doesn't go to the blankety blank university, even though it, you know, used to cost 6,000. Now it's 600,000. That is changing. I'm right in the middle of that now. And there are outliers because we can call upon the Peter Thiels of the world and say, 
No, you know what? My kid's smart enough to figure out something that doesn't involve me going into bankruptcy to pay for it or vice versa, him being in bankruptcy or her being in bankruptcy. And I think what's happening is when these other types of trade-like jobs, trade-based jobs, which are not low-tech at all, they're very skilled, but they're very focused, right? Uh, Aircraft maintenance or solar panel or whatever it has to do with like self-driving cars. There's people that need to do that stuff because the robots can't be dealing with the human beings at that level. That is where the next opportunity lies versus, come on, how many more people do we need to get a liberal arts education for half a million dollars? It's fine if it's 5,000 because you're hanging out with people learning how to be an adult. But if it's, it's a half it's, million bucks, come on. It's funny you mentioned liberal arts. We had, There was a big construction project meant to expand the York campus uh, here in Toronto for a number, another liberal arts campus. And it was going to be government funded. And then they elected the conservative government and, and they just axed the whole thing without even thinking twice about it. They're just like, we don't need, we don't need more of it. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we're going to wrap it up now, but we only managed to get through two stories, listeners and viewers, but there were good two topics. Um, I'm going to go recommendations of the week and I've actually got one. We interviewed the person um, for our interview show this week and it's, um, it's a learn-add-on it's uh, Design Upgrade Pro. Um, basically, if you've got any work, you're doing any work with Learn Dash, the basic, some of the basic layout of the course pages and the lesson page needs tidying up a bit, um, even on version three, which is a big improvement. And this gives you a load of options um, to tidy up those pages and i've used it on a few websites and it's a great plugin sally have you and i'm going to put that into chat myself which i should do um have you got anything you want to recommend sally uh yes actually um (coughs) we've got some new uh, media queries coming down the pike if you uh, do any css or you're uh, if you employ people who do uh for uh, basically media queries uh referring to um, light level, inverted colors, uh, dark mode, um, <clears throat> reduced motion, etc. cetera. Um, so uh, on the one hand, it seems like, damn, you know, you're going to have to write three times as much stuff. And on the other hand, uh, <clears throat> it does give you an, an opportunity to have some control over what happens if the user decides that that you know they want to invert colors for readability or they just want dark to dark mode all the things. Um, That's pretty cool. That's great. Put it into chat though, Sally. Our, um, Uncle Spencer, got anything you want to recommend to the listeners and viewers? I was just going to say, like, I was going to try the thing that the guy who write, wrote the article, Sally, mentioned. Uh, Log Rocket looks like a good plugin which is like, it lets you document what the bugs and the slowdowns are on the site when it's loading fast. But I was going to recommend um, a simple plugin uh, called Display Posts Shortcode, uh, being as though I'm spending that, a lot of time in the various page builders, yes? Yes, that's an awesome plugin. The guy who, who builds it is... This one? Horrific. The shortcode? Yeah, it's because what, yeah. What, what... I mean, everybody knows kind of what shortcodes are, but what's really nice about shortcodes is it's for anybody who wants to spend like literally... One cup of coffee to learn how to make your own short code. It's four lines of code to wrap your PHP script, but it lets you take a function from the back end and put it on the front end, including all of the various WordPress things. But what's nice about something like this is it allows you to just essentially pull out a 
uh, any post type and spit out any number of them with your own custom query. And it just makes it super easy for you to do stuff that, I don't know. It's like I used, yeah, I I used to use it all the time. Uh, you know, these days there are s- some more tools for for displaying things, but it's still very good and flexible. It's it's actually built into WordPress.com. Yeah. And uh, Bill Erickson is talking about doing a, a pro version where you know right. with, with the Gutenberg blocks. Right. Oh, all right. There we go. Um, I you got anything you want to recommend? Yeah, so I bought this. Uh, I bought this the other day, or actually, I think this morning. <laughs> it's called Fatal Error Notify. It's made by Jack Arturo, uh, who's also the guy behind WP Fusion, who which Spencer relentlessly promotes. Uh, so it's a great plugin that helps you sort out bugs on your website when stuff goes wonky. Uh, notices, errors, PHP stuff, WordPress errors, and uh, also specific plugin errors as well. Uh, there's a free version. There's a pro version. A free version is on uh, WP.org. So good stuff there. Go check that out in the event that you want to start receiving notifications for stuff that goes wonky on your site. Sounds really good from a very good source. Uh, rather, very good source. Um, Vito, got anything you want to recommend to the listeners of yours? Yes, so I'd like to recommend uh, my web audit. Uh, some of you might already heard of this uh, of this uh, tool before. I just I just got to meet uh, Cliff the, this week, and we hung out a little bit. So I thought I'll uh, give a bit of a shout out. Basically, it's a great way for to uh, generate uh, uh, sales for agencies and freelancers uh, in a more educated way for the client. So instead of just telling them that you're the best, you can send an automated report that. Uh, uh, tells them why they're the worst. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> that sure. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, <laughs> and I love the army comment as well. It's so true as well. Very, very true comment as well. Oh, Jesus, I can tell you about that. Uh, um, all right, Sally, um, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Uh, you can find me at WPFangirl.com and uh, I am at Sally Getch on Twitter and Instagram. Great. Uncle Spencer, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? At launchflows.com. Of course. And he's doing a lot of work there. Adrian, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? You can go to Groundhog with two Gs.io to learn about how we can help your marketing automation woes. And he's doing amazing stuff over there. Uh, um, it's, it's a train moving fast. Um, Vito, how can people find out more about you or what you're up to? So come join us at wpfeedback.co. Uh, you can join for free and join the network. It's growing really, really fast and everyone's invited. Oh, that's great. We'll see you next week for another great discussion. I thought this week's was fantastic. Uh, but we'll see you next week, folks, for another great WP Tonic Roundtable Show. See you soon, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week.